So, Patty, I really enjoyed our conversation today with Lance from One POS. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't well, think we've ever the topic bars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've ever specifically covered the topic of the specific challenges that bars have. And this is not just going to be your standalone. This could be a hotel bar, right? You know, other things like that. And so, really talking about what they need from a point of sale option. Um, I think our audience is going to find some interesting things about that vertical. Not to mention the fact that that vertical really is adopting dual pricing, right? Um, which is really big. One of my uh, really good friends in the industry that has a built a big portfolio, Patty, uh, has built it almost entirely with bars mm-hmm. and has just been very successful, all of them on dual pricing. Right. So they've done really, really well with that. And um, another thing about bars that a, a friend of mine does, does a lot of bars in New York, and he says that they're um, you know, primed for ATMs, even before dual pricing, they were yeah. primed for ATMs. Yep. Absolutely. A lot, of, a lot of foot traffic, a lot of people going to different places, going to a mm-hmm. club afterwards or whatever yep. it is. And so exactly. get, get that cash out. So then I talk about uh, this new texting service that I'm using where um, people have been texting me objections and I've been mm-hmm. texting back my rebuttals. So mm-hmm. today we cover the objection of my, you know, when you're going to a merchant, the merchant says my software is already integrated with a different payment processor. So you can't integrate with me. How do you overcome that objection? And so I cover that. And then Patty, tell us about the insiders. Uh, An update on buy now, pay later, and sort of the regulatory winds that are blowing in that market. Excellent. So uh, our episode today is brought to you by ISOAMP. You can find out more at getisoamp.com. Awesome. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Lance Lair, who is the CEO at 1PLS. How are you doing today, Lance? Excellent. Awesome. I'll love to hear that. Well, we are going to talk today about a topic that I, uh, and you know, I love this, Patty, because in our industry, it seems like almost every other week I'm saying, here's a topic we've never discussed. We haven't touched yet. How is it possible we've been doing this for years? But uh, today we're going to talk about payment processing, specifically point of sale solutions for bars, which would include, you know, hotel uh, bars and standalone bars and, and a variety of other things. And having been to a lot of industry events, I can tell you that our industry really likes bars. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe too much at some of it. Maybe, Maybe sometimes too much, too much uh, yes. <laughs> well, Lance, before we dive into that, give us your story. How did you get into this crazy industry? And then tell us about your path to, uh, you know, 1POS. Well, I, I married into it, which seems to be a, a bad way to start. But uh, <laughs> my my wife's family owns some restaurants and hotels. And when I had finished graduate school, they somehow my wife and her mother figured out some story where I would come out and run their restaurants. And uh, so <laughs> I, I got involved in that. And what's great about 1POS is a, after working in the family business for about 10 years, I went out on my own and I actually opened restaurant number one in 1POS. So uh-huh. uh just the other day, somebody said, hey, we're doing an upgrade on this restaurant that I no longer own. And and they said, it's serial number one. And I was like, yeah, that I know that one. That one's me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so I grew into that. And uh, the uh, founder and, and main software developer, 1POS, at that time, we were a fairly small company, is a good friend of mine. And he was kind of like, hey, can you come over and let me run the software and the development and you run the other stuff that I don't like running? And uh, that that just developed into me being the CEO and him uh, now being kind of like our product uh, guy and founder. Wow, that's great. I love Very it. Very cool. So before we dig into kind of the payment side and the and the point of sale side of things, Lance, um, let's zoom out and talk about bars in general. So when you think about the owner of a bar today, what would you say are kind of their top two, three challenges that they're facing that are kind of having the biggest impact on that market segment? 
So I think the biggest thing, like everybody else, is, of course, labor, right? Getting quality sure, employees sure. that can do the work. But that that's in the bar business. It's also quickly followed on by theft and, you know, sure. like opportunistic people kind of taking advantage of that cash nature of that business. Um, I think, you know, we also face a whole bunch of things around can we you know, really produce the product and reduce our liability and make sure we're serving in a safe way, all of those things. I will say just to the bar business alone, I think one of the current threats, well, let's call it an opportunity, is the non-alcoholic uh, drink fa- yes. craze that's kind of starting to pop up because, you know, people don't sit around and order four and five uh, non-alcoholic drinks. It's right, just not as right. fun. It's interesting <laughs> that you say that. I went, I, I When I was younger, I would go to bars a lot, but I don't these days, but I went recently and I had that very same thought, Lance. It was like, I don't drink. So it was like, what do I order? Was my first issue. And my second issue was I still, I was there to see a friend who was playing in a band at the bar. And so I wanted to kind of be in the bar, but I didn't want to be on top of other people because in this COVID weary kind of sense, so I would yeah. imagine that that's an issue too, sort of like how do you safely and securely take care of your customers? Yeah, I think hotels offer a slightly different. Hotel bars are a different animal sure. just in the nature of, you know, I think you have to be able to do um, quality and and an experience for the nights where it's just a hotel bar. But there are other times where, um, you know, you have a bartender that's not really a bartender. So you need to be able to provide some simplicity in the POS and payments world sure. as well as the drink selections. And then other times, you know, it's a convention and it's all just crazy. And, you know, you need boom, three boom, bartenders boom. in a bar for one play- person, you know, so it, I think it's interesting just because in the hotel scene, it's the flexibility of being able to do all of those and do them well. Cause you know, people are like elephants. They never seem to forget when you mess up. So. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say then, you know, you know, in terms of a point of sale system addressing the needs and challenges of a bar, you know, uh, why is it, you know, how does this play into it? You know, the, the, the role that the POS system plays. Right. Well, so certainly I think the POS, you know, serves really as that fundamental engine for transactions and accountability, right? Everything else Mm -hmm. kind of feeds off of that. And, you know, I think there's a couple of schools of thought. One is everybody wants to know, oh gosh, there's a POS there and it kind of stands out and it's a thing. I think we take a little of the opposite tack. We want uh, nobody to notice the POS because it's so seamless and so easy and it's just not a, uh-huh. like an issue that anybody talks about. So I think that what we see with that is, you know, you've got to just have a solid POS where it's very intuitive and your training time is reduced. And, you know, what we were saying, like in a hotel bar, if I have to throw two extra bartenders back there in a crisis, it cannot be difficult. And we all know you know, if you if you have a complex scheme for how you charge somebody for an upsell or a double, right, you fall apart very quickly. People do sure. the easy thing. And so the more you can link that all together. So when somebody hits the double button, it automatically charges the right amount for whatever mm-hmm. liquor they were doing and stuff like that. Those things become more and more significant, I think, to the effective operation of a bar. And then just flat out the accountability. I mean, you need right. to know that you didn't you know, when you ring up a Bahama mama, you have to know that it's accounting for the right amount of rum and the right amount of, you know, everything. So that when you print a menu mix, you can keep a pretty good handle on, you know, where you're at in terms of cost and loss and theft and, you know, all of the things that go into that. So those all have to be specially sort of built into a bar POS system. 
Um, yeah, they do. Unlike, yeah. for example, what might be, you know, um, commonplace in a restaurant, right? I mean, just a plain restaurant. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're, they are great to have impact a restaurant, but are they really the core element? Right. You know, probably not. They're nice if you've, if you've built it in a way that's uh, intuitive and all of that stuff's built in. It's great because some of that does, you know, in a bar-centric business, it, the servers have to do the same thing. If you make it complex to ring stuff up and cumbersome, mm -hmm. they just kind of cheat. Right. Yeah. You know. So I, I want to get to one POS and talk a little bit more specifically about that. But I have one other kind of more uh, broad question. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on, Lance. Um, mm -hmm. I was really surprised. So when, you know, now do what we call it dual pricing, you know, differential pricing, cash discounting, surcharging, whatever, right? There's all these, these um, you know, machinations and changes. But, you know, this idea of having a, a different cash price versus a card price, bars really seem to grab onto this really quickly. It was kind of like auto repair and bars were like the ones that seemed to go out <laughs> at first. Um, why is that? Any thought on your mind with, with bars specifically and why they kind of, you know, gravitated to that right away? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think it's because a bar customer in general is a little more transitional. So we're not talking about your corner bar. Let's kind of picture a little more nightclubish, right? They mm -hmm. come once a month. They come once every quarter. They come with friends, but they're and and they're, there's fast small transactions. So mm -hmm. you just I, I don't want to say you get away with it, but you kind of just nobody's yeah. paying attention at the level they are. I, yeah. I I think at your corner bar where everybody it's the same people around the bar every day that doesn't go over so well right, um, right but but certainly in the bar nightclub hotel you know it's just kind of i think a cost of of mm. uh, an expectation that people have more and more all the time and you you again i don't like the term get away with it but i think you do it as a cost of running your business and and you get a you can do that more smoothly in a bar environment than you can in a uh and and small ticket environment right where it's quick then they mm. Uh, big, you know, here's your receipt. It's three hundred dollars. Oh, and we added three and a half percent. You know, that right. feels a lot different than I bought a seven dollar drink and it was an extra twenty cents. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit and uh, specifically talk about one POS, if you don't mind, Lance. Um, yeah, you know, let's start with the basics. What are the features that you knew you needed on day one, and how did you approach these features in order to, you know, make them easy and um, intuitive? So, you know, some of the things we were talking about before, like building in where drinks are like in upcharges to drinks mm -hmm. are all done in an automated sense was clear. But I will say our number one thing is we design everything around uh, an employee touching the bar or the screen as few times as possible. And that, you know, mm -hmm. may not seem like, well, they touch the screen, they tap six buttons versus three. Right. But, you know, if that's all of a sudden 900 touches over sure. a night. How many more drinks could they have made? How can how does that affect labor? How does all of that fit together? Right. And I think that that um, matters. We built in some auto uh, kind of like anti-theft things. Like you uh -huh. can tell how long a tab has been open really easily, you know, which a bartender mm. that might be disingenuous. It's like, why have I had the same beer open for four hours? That right. doesn't really sure. make sense. Right. And then we we do some things like auto park tables. So if a bartender brings up three things and they walk away. If they walk away and you set a timer on that, if they don't come back to that open kind of cash screen uh -huh. uh, in, in that amount of time, it just parks it onto a table. And once that tab is parked on a table, it's a lot harder to manipulate. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a more permanent record than like a fast bar. Hey, I took, you know, I sold a beer, grabbed the cash, sold a beer, grabbed the cash. You when mean it parks a table, onto a table in, 
You mean a table in the machine, not a table out yes. the bar, right? Yes. Just, yeah, just, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a table, you know, it's like it locks it into a permanent location where they're kind of, uh-huh. you know, uh, stuck with that. We um, we also do some great stuff, I think, with the bar tabs. You know, I think when EMV came online, there was this real lag between, you know, you used to be able to scan your card and you'd put the name on a tab. And right. When EMV came along, a whole bunch of people stumbled on that. But mm-hmm. we, we actually picked that up pretty quickly. So we do a whole bunch of stuff with bar tabs and pre-auth and things like that. So you can still run a tab and, and be comfortable that you're collecting the money and that the authorization's accurate and right. uh, all of those things go. So, you know, we built those kinds of features in. And, and again, back to the core thing is the speed. Speed of transaction yeah. sure. isn't just about ringing up the beer and where you send it. It's more about how fast is the credit card process? I mean, that speed is money in a bar, high volume bar, especially. Sure. Yeah, we do that exceedingly well. You know, the the other thing I thought of, Lance, when you were talking about the number of touches, yeah, I think a mm. lot of that too comes down to employee training and and retention, right? Because it's like you know, you get a new new employee in there, especially in a fast paced bar. I mean, that could be very overwhelming. To mm-hmm. you know, that's exponentially more complex to learn that you have to touch nine times versus three. It's like yeah. you know, showing somebody how to touch three. That's a lot easier versus oh, there's all these extra screens. What do I click? So I think that's really crucial uh, for these bars as well. Um, so let, one of the other features that really caught my eye, I was looking at some of the different things that you guys offer. One of them was this whole uh, processing without the internet. So yeah. talk about that. That's pretty unique, actually, in the point of sale market today to really have something like that, that the, the way that you do that really works well. So talk about that and kind of why that matters to a lot of the, the bar clients that you have. Yeah, as we process, you know, we're processing through a gateway and, and you know, with all of the security features, we're not capturing that credit card number, right. storing it anywhere. But what we are using is, is in that gateway is when the internet, you know, disconnects, we can just go into what we would call a, you know, a deferred mode, which means it's the card will give you an authorization that's not, I'm going to say in, in the real sense, it's it's just not real, right? But it is mm-hmm. authorized. So you can continue on with that transaction. And then when the internet comes back on, it will then settle all those cards. There's a, there's an implied risk of, hey, if the authorization was bad that you didn't really get, you're going to eat that, right? That right. there's not much you can do with that. But on the plus side, when the internet comes back on, we still process all of those as card present. So you're not getting raked over the coals on some, you know, mm. kind of extreme yeah. processing charge and all sure. those things. And I'll tell you more and more with the technology, we're encouraging people to just go with a wireless failover router as well. So if the internet connectivity, you know, cuts out for more than, you know, three seconds, it just goes to a cellular backup and uh, credit card processing is not a tremendous amount of data. And we're a uh, store focused POS. So uh, we mirror everything into the cloud and have all that kind of cloud features. But in the end, if the internet goes down, we run exactly the same as we did was the internet was up with the exception of credit card processing. So we solved that by doing deferred processing. And, you know, we noticed in Florida, because we have a fair amount of customers in Florida, the last hurricane hit, we would often be the only restaurant on the street running. Yeah, because we actually didn't need the internet. Right. right. That's super interesting. Because yeah, definitely the the train is much more towards the cloud based. Uh, solution, yeah. which I know you have that, but then you're kind of having it something on the device that can take over as a backup is pretty cool. That's pretty, yeah. Unique. I mean, um, that's come a long way too, James. I mean, I remember we yeah. talked to people just a few, it was like maybe two or three years ago where that was just starting to, they were just starting to figure out economically efficient ways of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. What, one of the other features, Lance, that I wanted to have you touch on, um, 
is, you know, this is a little bit more complex, very specific to bars, but this idea of, of the ingredients and really kind of managing for liquor license liabilities and all that, this idea of how much is liquor and how much is juice or whatever. Talk about that, because that was actually pretty uh, unique as well. I felt like that definitely more of a specialized bar feature there. Yeah, so I'm going to hedge a little bit because every kind of state can be different on this and everything, and it has to sure. do somewhat with taxation, but a lot of states, this will work. So if you picture when you order Bahama Mama, half of it is alcohol and half of it is juice and garnish and all of all of those. We were actually developing for a, a, a hotel where they were doing packages and we're like, wow, we really need to, you know, in a hotel package, if you say $50 is a food and beverage credit, we need to be able to break that out into various places. So as an as a kind of fallout from that, we discovered that we could do that with drinks. So you can say the Bahama Mama may cost $10, um, but $5 of that goes to food and $5 of that goes to alcohol. Well, in a municipal in an area where your liquor liability insurance is totally based on alcohol sales, you right. can reduce your alcohol sales by 50% on you know that specific drink. It of course doesn't carry into beer or wine because you're not really doing anything with those. But in in a kind of, you know, uh, uh, exotic drink market and stuff like that, we can have a significant impact on how much liquor liability insurance somebody's buying. I mean, we've seen to the tune of many, many thousands of dollars for uh -huh. certain locations, um, just because it, it really just depends on how that, that area does it. I mean, you got to be a little careful, like if they tax something in a different way. You got to clear it through the taxing authority. But the insurance right. companies by and large have said, you know, we accept that, that we don't, we just care about your liquor sales. And if you right. are taking out the non-alcohol part of your liquor sales, we're good with that. Hmm. Yeah. And, and again, significant savings for the right kind of bar. Right. Sure. Like it. So last thing that I want to touch on here today, I know I'm sure we could talk for another hour about all these features and stuff, but um, you know, I want to touch on sales and marketing a little bit. So our audience primarily being agents and ISOs, um, and you having worked with a lot of different ones, what have you found that works right now? How do they go and prospect? And, you know, what are these bars looking for? I'm sure a lot of them now already have a point of sale system, maybe legacy, and they need to upgrade it or whatever. So what have you found that's working right now in terms of marketing and prospecting to get new potential clients? So I think in general, you know, and I think a little bit, this is kind of post COVID, you know, everybody seems a little more community based. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the idea of that, you know, you've got somebody from uh, one state calling 100, you know, just auto dialing a million restaurants and trying to get one. Well, that can work. I, I we find it's community based, get involved in your community, be active in it and mm -hmm. uh, have a genuine interest in the success and failure of the restaurants, hopefully right. all success. But, you know, when you actually take an interest in solving a problem for them and being an asset to their business, you get a lot more sales per, you know, let's say visit, right? If if I want to, if I have to get a sale out of knocking on ten doors, I better know them. They better know I care, and they better know I'm in their community and eating their restaurant, and you know I'm part of it. When you do that, you get a much higher close rate. So you know sometimes that I don't want to say is smoke and mirrors, but it's it's like join the chamber, join mm -hmm. the you know the groups, the active marketing groups, join the you know a friend's referral can make it seem like you're tighter or uh, more tightly tied to a business than maybe you are. Right. And, you know, uh, if you go in and knock on their door and, and say, hey, buy uh, credit cards for me, buy POS for me, it's a lot different than as the finish of my meal. I say, hey, can the manager stop by? Mm -hmm. You know, right. I'm actually, I gave you something. Now you can spend a minute with me talking about right. what problems we can help you solve. In the end, for everybody, 
if you're not solving a problem for their business, there's really just no reason to to switch to anything. So mm-hmm. I think we really try and focus on knowing the industry and being able to help solve their problems, like with the things we've talked about here. Love it. So what I'd like to do before we end, so I know I appreciate you taking the time to really zero in with us today on the bars, right? In that specific vertical. Obviously, I know 1POS does a lot more than just bars. Take take a yeah. minute, if you would, tell us a little bit more about 1POS, how you feel it kind of sets apart, and then also how you work with the Agent ISO channel. Um, and then lastly, where should people go to learn more if they want to potentially partner up with you guys? Yeah, so, well, first off, you know, 1POS is just a fantastic uh, POS in the in the context of when you want to run a complex bar or nightclub or restaurant, you know, multiple kitchens, multiple bars, high volume, all of that. I, I we always say, look, we do all of that complex stuff. We it's shocking. We forget some of the things we do until somebody brings it up, right? So we do all that complex stuff, and we do it about in the simplest way you can. That is tough. You know, you cannot be a complex POS and be simple mm-hmm. at the same time. You're going to give one up right. or or the other, right? right? But right. I think we do a nice job of walking that line. So, you know, what does that mean for why somebody would want to work with one POS? It's like we probably can support all of the brilliant ideas a restaurateur has. We can support their growth. You know, when they add a patio bar, we can do that, right? We can do, you know, printing by different time frames. You know, it's like print it one bar here, print it a different bar during a different day. We support multiple kitchens. We have handheld devices and kiosks. It's kind of like we do all of that. We do it really well. But most importantly, we're focused on the efficiency of the POS. We don't want anybody talking about the POS. We want it to be so smooth and good they're not talking about it, that it just works and they don't have to talk about it. And the reliability that we bring to the table is, is I think, really impressive. It's just uh, we've always been this POS that just works, keeps working, you know, uh, and, and you know, that is a key thing and nobody notices it until your POS doesn't work. And then you realize how, <laughs> just how important all of that was. Yeah. Right. Hey, what, one thing I just thought of too, that I didn't ask you about, talk about the processing piece for just a second. Our audience is always kind of wondering, yeah. I mean, there's people that are fine with, Hey, let me work with you to do the processing in the POS, but others don't want that. Like, are you guys processor agnostic? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We're processor agnostic. We use a uh, gateway that allows us to go to most any processor. I mean, we, we offer processing and we really do our best for anybody to be a hundred percent competitive in what their margin is and how they need that to look for their customers. Um, and, and when somebody goes, well, no, I still want to process for myself. I'll be honest. We pinch them a little bit on a gateway fee to go, look, we have this cost of infrastructure that we no longer get to, you know, put in. So (laughs) we, we charge them for the gateway and, and do some of that. But, uh, so far, we're we're for the most part able to compete with whoever they're already you know have a great relationship with and a processor, and we can match up to that most always, and and then just do the processing with us and save the gateway fees. Um, and you know, you had mentioned I forgot to say you know how can you get a hold of us? You can yes. go to our website and you know click the contact us thing, and that'll start a process. And you know, I I think we have a great program in that we do some stuff with what we call limited reseller, which is kind of you sell the POS and the credit card processing, and we'll handle all the support. And we know that most ISOs are like, yeah, I love all this stuff. It's great, but I don't want to get a call at midnight on Saturday night. Right. And we do that. So yeah, <laughs> you know, we kind of take that one. pain away. That's a big one. Yeah. Give, give us that website, if you would, for our audience. Sure. It's, it's onepos.com, O-N-E-P-O-S.com. It's not the number. 
Awesome. Yeah. That's an easy one to remember. So well, yeah. Lance, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with our audience and share some insights. Uh, again, that website was one POS. So all spelled out O N E P O S.com. And uh, thank you again for taking the time, Lance. Hey, it was great talking with you guys and always fun to be around industry experts. So good, good talk. So Patty, today uh, I want to talk about ISOAMP and our uh, quick quote. Okay. Oh, so yes. we're not talking about statement analysis now. We're talking about a quick mm-hmm. quote. Now, mm-hmm. what we found is there are a lot of times where you're talking to a merchant and one of two things is going to happen. Either number one, they are going to give you enough information where you could do a really quick estimate. Um, right. This is especially true with dual pricing, mm-hmm. you know, cash discounting and those types of, even compliance surcharging to some extent, mm-hmm. where really you have their total volume you know how many transactions or what their average ticket is. You know generally how much they pay in fees. Right. And you just want to really quickly- kind of a ballpark. Yeah, you want to give them right. something with a ballpark. But you, when you do that ballpark, you want to protect yourself against making mistakes in terms of margin and right. all that. Sure. Right, sure. Right? So we have that ability. And so that, you know, all of our clients have an unlimited number that they can use of these quick uh, quotes. So we have, you know, when you, when you pay ISOAMP, you pay for a certain number of statement analyses a month, but it also includes unlimited quick quotes. And so- Right. You can go in there and use our little calculator. But what's really cool is we made an upgrade to it about a uh, six months ago that's been very popular. And that is you can actually now go in and you can add some fees to it. So uh-huh. let me let me explain this. This is really, really powerful. You're standing there talking to the merchant. You know, I talked last week about full automation. So maybe they have a kind of a nasty scan. You know, you upload it. It doesn't get fully automated. So, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to get this back in 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. You don't know. Right. So you're like, I just want to do something real quick. Well, you can put in some total volume numbers or whatever. Then we actually set it up to where you can go through and add a few lines. So you might look at the statement and say, well, I'm not going to enter all 400 lines of the statement or 100 lines or 50 lines, but I can see here that they're on interchange plus 35 basis points and 10 cents. Mm-hmm. Our tool makes it incredibly easy. We already have the volume. We already have the number of transactions. Very easy for you to say, out of uh, what we call a VMD per item, a Visa MasterCard Discover per item fee of 10 cents add a VMD volume or a Visa MasterCard Discover volume of, you know, 35 basis points. Okay. Then we already estimated the interchange. We already estimated the card brand fees. So it's just going to take everything that's left over and just call that other fees. Uh-huh. Right? And you can make something that actually looks pretty good and has some of your fees side by side with it. Oh, cool. So it allows you to go in and you can kind of enter as much as you want from the statement. So again, I mm-hmm. want to clarify here. ISOIMP is the leader in full service statement analysis. And so you can obviously just upload the statement. And I still encourage you to do that, even if you do the quick quote. Um, but there are those situations where either you don't have the statement, they're just giving you some rough information. And I'll use the quick estimate a lot of times to get them to give me the statement. Right. So yeah, say, sure. how much do you do in processing volume? Let's put that in there. Hey, it looks like I could save you something like maybe $3,000 a year, but I'd love to take a look at a statement to make sure exactly what it is. And then you upload it. So anyway. Unlimited quick quotes. Check it out at getisoamp, G-E-T-I-S-O-A-M-P.com. Getisoamp.com. Get a demo, full service statement analysis, quick estimates, full automation. We've got the entire package as well as the W-2 team to back it up. Check it out. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass.
If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. Okay, Patty, so today in Questions from the Field, I thought I would answer an actual question from the field. Uh, I have about eight or nine of them that I'm going to run through over the next eight or nine weeks, and I want to talk about where this came from. So I have a new service I set up where I am uh, able to communicate with um, agents, ISO execs in the industry via text. Um, Yeah, I saw your your announcement on that, yes. Yeah, so it's not like a normal kind of mass texting platform. I mean, there's a little bit of that technology to it where I can send Mm -hmm. out a campaign to everybody, but it allows me to actually interact and have one-on-one communication as well. So as I start this section out, uh, you know, what happened was I sent out a a text and and said, what's your most common objection? Right. And I have my responses that I went through and found the most common objections from a bunch of agents. Perfect. Excellent. I thought that'd be really good. So before I jump into that, if you want to take a second, uh, you know, pull your car over or something or write this down, you can actually text me. It's 814-482-2090. Let's say that one more time. 814-482-2090. If you just text and say hello, you get a couple of automated responses to get you added to my contact list. And then after that, um, you're going to get a bunch of there's content I'm doing there that I'm not doing anywhere else. Um, And so I'm sending out things. So as an example, what I'm going to give you right now, I actually send individual videos to people via text with my actual response. I had my daughter, Alana, help me with some of them. It was kind of funny. She, oh, was, cool. she, played, the, she played the merchant and then I was the salesperson. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We had some fun with that. Um, but yeah, so if you want to get in on that, uh, that's the number you can text that. All right, so let's dive in. So first one I want to talk, talk about today is my software is already integrated with a different payment provider. Of course, yes. This was- Very common. Right at the top of the list. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about this for a second. So a couple of things I recommend to do. Where most agents tend to go with this one is they tend to go in the direction of getting into a very technical conversation. Yeah, sure. Well, what kind of software is it? Who do you currently integrate with? Mm-hmm. Um, Questions you know, that the merchant might not even have the answers to. Right. Do you have the number right. for tech support? You know, these kind of things. Right. <laughs> and you actually want to really avoid that. What I recommend is certain objections, what you'll find is your best bet is actually to just go around those objections. Don't deal with them because you want to put them off and deal with them later. So here's how I respond when people say that. I say, well, I certainly understand that. As you can imagine, a lot of people I deal with already have a a solution that's integrated with a different form of payment. Sure. Let me ask you this though. Assuming that I could integrate. So let's just say for a second that I am able to integrate with your current technology solution. um, What else might be holding you back or what other questions do you have? Mm -hmm. You just go right around it. And what you'll find a lot of times is then they'll kind of say, well, I guess it would just come down to cost or they'll say something else. And what right. you'll find is usually, <coughs> excuse me, usually you can convert it into a financial conversation, which you don't normally want to do on the value proposition angle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it's very important in this context because we need to get some numbers and we need to get sure. them moving forward and making some progress. So a lot of times they say, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it would come down to, you know, price and you know, what we're paying now and everything and say, okay, uh, that, that makes total sense. So Um, Do you have a payment processing statement? Do you know what your fees are? You know, let's start that conversation. Mm -hmm. And then meanwhile, I will certainly go back and look into this and see if we can integrate. But, you know, the idea, the way you want to present it to them is I will put all the work in to figure out if we can integrate and all that. But here's the thing. I may, you know, this is why I tell people, it's so funny to me, Patty. Salespeople are so afraid to go negative. 
They don't understand going sure. negative is the key to getting the sale almost every time. It's really funny. But like, hmm. let me give you an example of, of that in this case. What I'll say to them is, I'll say, you know, I may or may not be able to integrate. That's going to take some work to, to be able to figure that out. But here's the thing. I don't want to do all that work. And then I can't even save you any money. Because if I can't save you any money, you're probably not going to move over anyway, are you? Right, right. And they'll say, well, no, I wouldn't move over. Oh, well, exactly. So let's answer that question first. Let's figure out if it even makes sense because I can mm -hmm. do that really easily. Then let's figure out on the technology side what might make sense there. And you get a, you get you get kudos for the honesty there. I would think, right? I mean, because you're you're, you're kind of like deflating their their negativity. Yeah, because they can't yeah. be negative on top of your negative. Right. You exactly. already went there, and that that's the key. <laughs> right. When when you realize that the merchant is going to go in a direction you don't want to go, the key is for you to go there first. First, sure. It's really funny because you would think the key would be we need to get them away from that. No, it's yeah. not. Right. Like as a, I'll give you another really good example of this is cash discounting or, or dual pricing. Mm -hmm. When people are, it's like, well, everybody tells me my customers aren't going to like it. Then you tell them that first. Right. So when they, when you're talking about the pitch and they say, well, how does it work? You say, well, um, let me tell you a couple of things first about this really interesting. Number one, because of the fact that you're having a cash and a card price, obviously your customers are going to pay a higher price when they pay with a card. Mm -hmm. So the mm -hmm. big question, of course, on your mind is going to be, well, how many of my customers are going to complain? And I actually have the answer to that because some of them absolutely will complain. We found that it's about one out of every 100 or so transactions initially. And so if I could do something that would eliminate your processing fees, but you'd have to have that engagement with about one out of every 100 customers to explain it, is that an acceptable trade-off to you? Mm -hmm. You see what I'm doing? I'm just, yeah. it's like, I know they're going to go there. I'm just going to go there first. So go there first, exactly. And so anyway, have the answer already. Right, right. Because that so, shows that you're really on top of your game. Yes. So now going back to the software integrated thing, we get it down to a financial conversation. We're going to save the money, whatever it is, right? And now we can come back and now we can have the value conversation one of two ways. If we can integrate, fantastic. Hey, good news. I can integrate. I can save you money. This is a no-brainer. Let's move forward. Right. Um, if you can't integrate, you say, well, here's the thing. So it looks like I can save you, you know, if you're do doing dual pricing, for instance, looks mm -hmm. like I can save you $1,700 a month. You know, that's the uh, good news and bad news. You know, the, the good news is I can save you $1,700 a month. The bad news is I can't integrate with this particular system, but I found a system that I think is even better that I can integrate with. Let me explain some of the features of that system so we can get you that $1,700 a month. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> right? And so now sure. all of a sudden, now we have this good conversation. But here's one last key I'll tell you. This is a, unique for the integrated software, Okay. And a lot of people may disagree with me on this. I don't think you want to try to push forward too far with the sales process on the first visit with this one. Mm -hmm. um, there's a sure. big psychological advantage to coming back, even though, you know, I'll give you a really good example of this, right? <clears throat> you might walk in and see a Clover device, right? Okay? You know, you're not integrating with that. <clears throat> like there is no way <laughs> you're going to integrate with that system. Um, you're, you're like locked out. But when you approach it this way and you say, well, I might, I might be able to integrate and actually save you money. Let's, let's, let me check and see if I can, you know, all of that. Right, right. Well, now when you come back and you give them a good pitch, now you could pitch them on either replacing their Clover with your Clover, you know, that, that kind of approach, which is right. not ideal, but you can, or you pitch them on a totally different system, you know, but the thing is, if you in that moment are like, well, I, yeah, I can't integrate with Clover, then you're done there. It's over. Right, because you don't have any recourse after that. Right. You need yeah. to be able to kind of like, well, let me look into this. Let me look at what I can mm -hmm. save you. Let me look at the options. 
Then when you come back, you can go, here's what I can save you. You know, your annual savings is going to be $26,000. Right. Well, all of a sudden now in their mind, they're thinking, oh my goodness, how do I get this $26,000? Then when you say, well, we are going to have to switch out your Clover station, or we're going to have to move you to this or that. It's like, well, okay, that's a trade-off between that and $26,000 versus when you're there, <clears throat> they're still thinking, well, they can't help me. And then when you say, well, I can't integrate with Clover, they're like, see, I knew you couldn't help me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and now you're mm -hmm. done. So yeah, that's my advice on how to overcome the objection of my software is already integrated with another payment provider. I will be uh, providing a bunch of other ones uh, over the next few weeks. Um, don't forget to text me, 814-482-2090. Just say hello. And you'll start getting some campaigns from me usually once a week. I'm sending out stuff. I have a, I have two different, basically, uh, contact lists. One is individual agents that want people that want content about that, mm -hmm. uh, sales objections and things like that. And the other one is ISOs, ISO execs who want information on managing the team, payment, ex, payment news and all that. So <clears throat> you'll get some emails from me asking you, hey, like, what kind of content do you want? And, you know, you can email that or text that back to me and then I'll put you in the right uh, campaign to get the right content. Give everybody, if you don't mind, James, one more time that, um, that number. Sure, it's 814-482-2090. Thank you. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, James, we have some new news on the uh, BNPL, which, of course, is ah. buy now, pay later front. Okay. Um, it looks like regulation is, is is starting to inch into this field, which, of course, was only a matter of time. Of course. Um, the United Kingdom has been moving ahead, is moving ahead with its plans to regulate this market. Um, it published draft legislation on of all days, February 14th. Um, that would nice. render these buy now, pay later agreements uh, subject to the rules established by the fi Financial Conduct Authority, which is a non-governmental body that actually regulates financial services firms. Okay. It's very interesting the way they do that in the UK, which we can probably get into in another another time. But right. you know, basically, um, these guys have to these companies have to uh, perform affordability checks mm. to determine the customer has the means to repay. Um, also, rules around marketing. Um, has to be, you know, fair, clear, and not misleading. Mm. Um, this is, you know, the UK has been really active on this front. And in fact, they've actually taken some um, steps against um, BNPL firms that they think are um, promoting it in an unfair, um, sure. unclear manner. Um, apparently, there were like a couple thousand um, complaints filed last year. Wow. Yeah. Um, so this, um, legislation kind of comes out of something that was proposed last year. Uh, the plans are for a two year transition to the, once the legislation is approved. Okay. Um, and then and during that time, firms will operate in under sort of like interim rules. rules. Okay. Okay. And that they're going to have to be, you know, um, registered and everything. So that's how sure. they're going to keep track track of this. You know, and as we've discussed before, this buy now, pay later loan product has been gaining favor as an alternative to credit cards because it offers an interest-free option, provided the customer pays off the loan on time over a short period of time. Right. 
Now, the five largest providers are Firm, Afterpay, Klarna, PayPal, and Zip. Combined, in a, um, combined originated 180 million transactions worth about 24 billion in 2021. Wow. That's according to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, Research and Markets, it's a firm over in the UK. It estimates that the global market is growing at a compound annual rate of 28%. So wow. I did my math, which suggested that this year it would be something like 40 billion. I mean, you're probably Sounds faster right. at that than me, but that's yep. kind of what I came up with. Um, just another little tidbit, uh, Consumer Reports found that in the first seven months of 2022, <clears throat> the number of Americans um, reporting that they used a BNPL product at least once jumped from 18% to 28%. Wow. That's a pretty significant jump. <clears throat> that's a lot. That's like a third of everybody, like one out of three. Yeah. One, and, and, and I got to tell you, James, you know, you and I often spar with each other sort of generationally, right? Yeah. And you, you told me, I think about a year ago that you had done this for the first time. Yeah. Uh-huh. I did it for the first time over Christmas. Yeah. And it wasn't something that I really needed to stretch out. Right. It's just sort of like, oh man, I don't want to put that on my debit card, you know? It's right. Like, why don't I just do well, this? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and I think it goes back to something we've talked about several times. I mean, sometimes these larger transactions are just kind of a pain in the neck because, you know, you don't have a you yeah. know, your card balance, you don't have enough on the card or whatever. Well, you do, but you don't really want it to go up that high. Yeah, because it's going to hurt your credit report if your right. balance goes high. You know, so I think for yeah. the average consumer, it's a big deal. Yeah, mine was... Um, it's funny, actually. Yeah, I'm still paying that. It's a uh, uh, it was a trip, it was a trip. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was a trip where I paid for uh, some of my family to do this trip, and there was a, um, a Southwest Airlines tickets. Mm-hmm. And because of where they were flying to and from, it was like five or six thousand dollars, I think. Um, and you know, when I I was going to go pay for it with my card, and when I went to pay for it with my card, it said buy now, pay later. Uh, and I thought, oh, okay, this is what this is. I got to try this out. So I right. did it to see how it worked. And it was, I, the thing I was amazed with was how smooth it was. Right. Um, you know, and, and the irony is it actually was more convenient for me. It was 0% interest right. and it was actually more convenient for me than using my card because with my card, uh, the one I was going to use was my, uh, actually my debit card. Right. And I was going to have to call the bank because my max right. is like a $4,000 transaction. This is like right. five or 6000 So I was going to have to call my bank, wait on hold, get them to increase the per transaction limit. And I'm like, or oh, I could just buy now, pay later at 0%. And, it, and they instantly approved it and it went through. And I was like, oh, that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, I had a similar thing. It was I was, I was buying a tool for my for my yard work. Um, okay. And it was just, you know, it was just a little bit more than I wanted to put on a debit card. And so... The only thing that surprised me is I kept forgetting that that was out there. And so, you know, I'd look at my bank account, like, where's that transaction? You know, because right. it was every two right. weeks, you know? And I think that's one of the things that the regulators are concerned about, that there's a lot of people that are taking these out that are not, say, as financially savvy as you and I are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the marketing- their account, that sort of thing. Right, they overdraw mm-hmm. their account. I mean, there's been a- uh, I think it was a um, Consumer Reports study that found, um, where do I have this here? I thought I had it here. But it was something like, you know, 18% of people had missed at least one pe- one payment. Mm, right, and I remember a, that. Yeah. yeah. And 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 that a lot of those people had four or more loans out. So that's where I think it really, you know, the, the thing that the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has talked about 
And what the um, what the UK seems to do is, you know, been saying is, you know, you need to do some checks to make sure these people really aren't carrying four or six or eight of these loans and eating up, you know, half yeah. of their monthly income paying off the loans. And, yeah. and I think it's only right, you know, obviously, given that those are the same rules that apply in the credit card world. Exactly. Sure. Yep, I agree. I think one last thing I want to add to that real quick, Patty, is, sure. you know, I think for our audience listening, if you still don't have a BNPL offer for your yes. merchants and you deal with, you know, merchants that have a larger average ticket size, even, you know, auto repair is like a, becoming really popular with BNPL. So when you think about that, make sure you have a BNPL option. We've interviewed several people on the podcast about right. it. But make sure you have a BNPL option. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.